Amen. Well, as we are in uh, 1 Peter, we are in 1 Peter uh, chapter 2. Uh, last week, uh, we left off with, uh, with uh, verse 10. But I want to begin by proposing a, a question to all of you. And you can answer this in your minds. You don't have to answer this out loud. But uh, I do want to ask you this. Was, when we look at Jesus Christ, when we look at who he is, was he different than the world? And I believe that, yes, he was. And I believe that you would all answer the same thing. You know, when we think about the fact that what made him different, uh, we can think to ourselves, well, we know he's different because he was God. But aside from being God, what made him different? We look at the fact that, you know what, he was, more, he was, he was most different than anyone else that walked in this earth, right? There was no one like him. And the reason why was because he acted different, right? He, he spoke differently. We know that the things that he did were different. Things that he did were, were, were things that no one else had done before. And we know that uh, as we look at this, if you and I belong to Jesus, if you and I call him our Lord, our Master, our Savior, then we know one thing is that we are also to imitate Jesus. We are to imitate what he did. You know, he was the example for us. And one thing that we know as we look at the church today, I do want you to know one thing about the church today. The church has come to a place of not acting very different than the world is acting. See, we need to understand that the church is beginning to blend in with the world that we live in. And you and I may look like the world, right? You and I have eyes and ears and a head and a body and arms and, and feet and legs. But the difference between us and the world is the way we act and the way we speak. And this must be clear. This must be understood that the world must see a difference in us. And as I mentioned before, that the problem that we're facing today is that the world is not seeing much of a difference between the church and themselves. And I want to share this with you that as we look in Peter's word today, as, as the Lord spoke as the Holy Spirit spoke through Peter and he penned these words down for us, he's going to reveal to us three different ways on how we are to be different than the world. And one of the things that he left us with two weeks ago, and he left us with this in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, he says that we are his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And as we look at this word, how, how can we do this? How is it that you and I can proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness? We do this the way we talk. We do this the way we walk. And understand one thing. Our master is not of this world. And that's why things are so different. And with that, I want to begin to read in verse 11. It says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, Abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. In these two verses, we have the first, the first point that Peter wants to make, or the Lord wants to make regarding our lives with the lives of this world. One of the things that Peter is reminding us here is that our personal lives must be different. Understand that 
that is the first point that he wants to make. That our personal lives must be different. Whoever you are, or wherever you are, at home, in the marketplace, at the mall, you know, in your neighborhoods, you know, when you're around families, meaning parties and gatherings, we must behave differently. That's given. And yet we as a people are not, do, are not doing this at all. Understand one thing is that our behavior, as Peter says here, it must be honorable. And we know that a lot of times it is not. And that's why the world isn't seeing a difference between us and them. I want to go through the scriptures as we examine the scriptures. Here in verse 11, it says, Beloved, and this means that you and I are greatly loved. That is what the word beloved means. It means that you and I are greatly loved. And if God's word is alive, what is God telling us right now? That you and I are dearly loved by Him. See, when we read God's word, understand one thing. The word of God is alive. And what God is trying to tell you right now, that you are deeply loved by Him. And what I love, what He says next, is the fact that He says, I beg you. He's not just asking. God is not just asking. He is begging he is begging us to do what? And He is begging us not because He lacks anything. I want you to understand that. He's not lacking anything. He's not desiring to get something from you or, or to make Himself look better. The reason why He's begging is because of love. And you may be wondering, what do I mean by this? What do I mean that God would beg us because of love? And I'm going to share this with you. Because the Lord loves people. Understand that. See, He has chosen. He has chosen us to reach others through Him. I mean, He's begging you not to behave like the world because He wants us to reach others. We're working for the Lord. Understand that. And the only way to reach others is going to be through us. See, the message that we have is so different than the world. And the message is not going to be effective if we're behaving like everyone else. See, the message that we have is an important message. See, when it came to us, understand this. When you came to know Jesus Christ, what happened there? I think, you know, we all know and understand that the Spirit of God was convicting us. And when we heard the Word of God, yes, we surrendered ourselves to it. But one thing that came to us as to why we were drawn to the Lord is that someone spoke about Jesus Christ to us. Isn't that what happened? We wouldn't have come to know the Lord, right, if somebody wasn't sharing or if we didn't hear somebody talking about the Lord. See, the Lord has chosen to choose vessels, people, to get out His message of grace. See, He didn't choose animals. God didn't choose angels. God chose people, and that's you and me, to get the gospel out. See, it wasn't, when I came to know the Lord, it wasn't as if the Lord appeared to me and says, Hey, look at my hands, look at my feet, look at my side. I'm God, believe in me. That didn't happen. What happened is He used people to get His message to me. It was the invitation that was received from somebody else's mouth. Let me share this. If that mouth 
If you heard somebody with a mouth, mouth that was cursing up a storm, if you heard somebody's mouth that maybe, you know what, was, was smoking a joint or drinking a beer and on the other hand had a, had a magazine, a worldly magazine or a porn magazine, whatever it may be, and he started talking to you about the Lord, what would you do? I think we'd turn away, right? We'd say, look at this guy. But what if somebody came, came to you that approached you in love? What if somebody came to you that was respectful and honorable, speaking to you in a caring manner, acting different than what the world acts like, right? Talking to you about this man named Jesus. What would you do? I think we listen, right? That's what happened to us, right? We were drawn by somebody that came to talk to us in a different demeanor, in a different fashion. See, for me, the person that God used to speak to me, you know what? I knew this person. I knew this person that, that, that God used, and I knew him before he came to, know, to become a Christian, before he gave himself to the Lord. And yes, many times he'd, he'd get me in a corner or... He'd find an opportune time to begin to share the gospel to me. And I'd be like, you know what? I don't need this, right? I think that's maybe most reaction is that, you know what? You hear it sometimes and you're like, you know what? I don't need this. And that's what he began to do with me. And I, and I just heard it and, and I was like, okay. But then I kept seeing him do the same thing over again. And not just with me, but he was doing it with other family members. And then I just began to examine his life because of the things that he was sharing, right? And about his life, he was not acting the same that he used to act. And he was not saying that, you know what, I've read self-help books, I've gone to a psychologist or a psychiatrist, or I've gone somewhere where they've helped me to behave differently. None of that he was saying. He was saying that he was transformed by Jesus. And I was thinking to myself, you know what, this man that's transformed by Jesus, I mean... I just kept an eye on him, right? And I kept looking at him, and I saw that, you know what? Time after time after time, he, he, was, he was behaving in a different way. He wasn't behaving like the rest of us, you know, at family gatherings and at parties. He was different, and his message was different. And see, and that's one thing that, that began to, to, to minister to me. And as time went on, and this was for close to a year, that I saw that he did not change. He didn't change his message or his behavior. And I remember every time he talked about the Lord, there was a joy about him. And see, and this is a man that God used for me. Because it just wasn't by, you know what, by, by just coming out with the message. It was that he backed it up with both his walk and his talk, right? This is what ministered to me. This is how God began to minister to me to to. Bring me and to draw me to Him. See, our changed life and our changed speech only validates God's message. You must understand that. And we must continue to maintain an effective testimony. Because if you don't, it's not going to reach anyone. If I would have saw Him fall and I would have saw Him doing the things that He used to do, I would have just said, you know what? Look at His message. What good is it? He's just like everyone else. See, when we think about this, right? It's important for us to understand why is our message different? Why are our actions different? 
And Peter reveals this here in verse 11. He says, and he speaks to our relationship with this world. He says, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims. See, one of the things that we must understand, you know what this word is saying, what these words are saying here is saying that we're not of this world. That's what it's saying. Have you guys seen those stickers that say N-O-T-W? I think most of us know, maybe there's some of you that don't know, but it means not of this world, right? And this is what we are. We're not of this world. See, this verse tells us that we have a temporary stay here. And we are traveling as pilgrims on our way to our heavenly city. See, when we think about this, how many times do you think about heaven? You know what? There's a lot of times, and I love vacations too, and I love, you know what, when, when going to certain places and, and to these places where you're just so excited to go to, right? I mean, I think we're all there. I mean, if we're honest to ourselves, we like to travel and we like to see places, and we all get excited to go to these places, right? But are you excited about going to this heavenly city? It's going to be more beautiful than any other city that is on earth. We should have an excitement. We should have a zeal and a passion. We should be overflowing with joy about this place that we're going to be going to. See, what happens is that I think a lot of Christians begin to lose our heavenly perspective. And because we lose our heavenly perspective... We begin to put our perspective on other things. And some of these things that I'm talking about are worldly things, the world. See, we begin to embrace the things of the world and we get excited for the things of the world. We're consumed by these things of the world. And if you begin to do this or if you begin to see yourself, you know what? Getting so excited about everything on earth and not on heaven above... You're walking in a dangerous place. See, there are a number of scriptures, and we're going to be going through these, that reveal the consequences of our attachment to this world. There are several scriptures that the Lord says regarding our attachment to this world. And the first one is that we're going to look at is 1 John, which is a couple of books after. After 1 Peter, 1 John 2, 15 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away on the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Understand one thing. If you love the world, you know what? The love of the Father is not in you. Understand this. It is key to our walk. It is key to disattach ourselves with the world. We are to remain outside of the world even though we walk in it and even though we reach others in it. We are not to blend in with the world. There's another scripture, if you look uh, on the book behind 1 Peter, it's in James chapter 4. <clears throat> in James chapter 4, in verse 4, as you're turning to there, 
It talks about adulterers and adulteresses. That's what we do when we give ourselves to the world and not to Christ. It says, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. These are some pretty harsh words, aren't they? But they are the truth of God. It is God that is speaking these words to us today. And when we think about this, why is it that we're enemies of God? See, the world, what the world promotes and what God promotes are quite the opposite. See, we need to understand that the world promotes something totally different than what the Lord promotes. And it's important for us to know this and for us to understand this. And I want you to turn to John chapter 7. In John chapter 7, verse 7, there's a reason why there is a difference and there's a reason why the Lord talks about this. In John chapter 7, verse 7, In John chapter 7, verse 7, it says, The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it, that its works are evil. If you ever wondered why the world hates the Lord, it's because the Lord says that, you know what? Your Your works, your behavior, the things that you do are evil. See, God promotes righteousness, and the world promotes the opposite of righteousness. That which is evil. And God brings it to light and the world doesn't like that. See, if you want to understand what the world promotes, or if you want to know what the world promotes, it's so easy to find out. Do you want to know what the world promotes? Turn on TV. Look at commercials. Look at the movies. Look at the shows that they're putting on. Everything that the world promotes, you can see it. You can see billboards on the streets, on the freeways. And what you see is what it promotes. But one thing that we know about the world, as Jesus revealed here, it hates us. But he gives us further clarity that this hate doesn't stay with him. I want you to turn to John chapter 15. In John chapter 15, verse 18, the Lord goes one step further about the world's hatred. It says in verse 18, it says, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Understand one thing, that the world hates us too. Why is it that you are hated The way Jesus is hated. Because we have the same message. The message of Christ is the same message that we should also be speaking. And this is what why it hates us. Understand one thing. That this message is so hated these days that they don't even want his name spoken in certain places, right? Think of it this way. The name of Jesus. Can you say it? Freely with liberality in government places or in public schools. We can't say it anymore, right? Because the message that he gives, they are convicted with it. 
It shows that they are evil. And when we think about this, right? How many times can you pray in a public place or call to pray in a public place without receiving persecution if you were to pray in the name of Jesus? See, the world hates him. And because of who he is and the message that he gives, they're also going to hate us. And see, what's, what we need to understand is that why is it that you and I would want to be friends with this world? See, why is it that you and I would want to embrace and to blend in with a world that hates you? See, it's a system that rejects you and the message that Christ gives. This world, as we know today, and it's getting closer in this country, where they're being persecuted because you love Jesus Christ and the message that you give. We know this happens in many parts of the world today. That if you're a Christian, what do they do? They will want to silence you, right? Some places will, mar- will kill you. And you, you will be martyred because of your faith in Christ. This world wants nothing to do with God. Understand that. And so why do you want to blend in with the world? This is a message that Christ has for us today. We are not to be blending in with the world. We are not to be acting like the world. We're not to be talking like the world. We're not to be doing things like the world. God has called us to do so much more. God has called us to, do, to behave so much more honorable as He told us in His Word. If you begin to practice and behave like the world, you will lose your effective witness for Jesus Christ. Understand that. The Spirit of God is going to be grieved in you. And it's going to be very difficult for you to be, to stand out. To stand out when it comes to G, uh, for Jesus Christ. They're not going to see a difference in you. And this is why when we look at the church today, we're not making such a great impact for this world. Because we're blending in too much. No one is seeing the difference between us and the world. What Peter tells us when you go back to 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse 11, he tells us, abstain from fleshly lust. What does it mean to say abstain from fleshly lust? This means to hold back. What are we to hold back from? Our fleshly lust. And what Peter says is there is a war against the soul. You know, when we think about this, understand one thing. That Peter mentions there is a war within you. And this war, the picture that he gives us, there is an actual battle that goes on within you. Understand this. There is a war that goes on. And I want to talk about this. Because it's important that we don't minimize it, that you are aware of what goes on. And the scriptures reveal this to us. Many of you say, I have enemies on the outside. But understand one thing, there is a greater enemy that's within you. And this enemy is the flesh. The flesh is at war with you. And when did the flesh become or, or, or come against you? When did it begin this war against you? Do you know that this flesh began its war when you first said yes to Jesus? When you surrendered yourself to Jesus Christ, a war began to take place within you. And what do I mean by this? 
Because see, your flesh wants to satisfy itself. Your flesh wants to appease itself. It wants to make itself feel good. And now as a Christian, you have the Spirit of God inside of you saying, don't do that. Yield to me and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. But see, our flesh is upset at that. Our flesh is saying, you know what? I want you to satisfy me. I wanted you to do this. This is what makes me feel good. This is what goes on within us. See, the Lord knew that, you know what? Without me, you will fulfill the lust of the flesh. Because you have no power within you to say no. But when you say yes to Jesus, he gives you his Holy Spirit. He imparts that inside of you. He dwells inside of you. And he gives you the power to say no to these things. See, the reason he gave you the Holy Spirit was for several reasons. And one of them is for this. Because he wants to give you power over your fleshly lust. He wants you to reflect who he is. He wants you to imitate him. And he knows that without him you can't do this. And understand one thing, if you're going to feed the flesh, you will, live out you will live out the lust of the flesh. But if you feed the Spirit, you will live according to the Spirit. You know, I mentioned this before, and I don't know if I mentioned this recently, but I know I mentioned it when, uh, when we had the men's study. And it's the illustration that Billy Graham gives in his book on the Holy Spirit. He talks about an Eskimo fisherman, that he comes into town every Saturday, and he has two dogs with him. He has a white dog and he has a black dog. And he taught both of these dogs to fight on command. You know what? When I speak or when I tell you, you guys begin to fight. And on Saturday, he would bring them into town, right? He would bring them into the town square. And the two dogs would fight and he would take bets. And every time he took bets, he was always winning. And what happens is his friends ask him, you know what? How is it that you can always win? How is it that... You're always coming out a winner. And he says, because I starve one and feed the other. The one I feed, he always wins. Who are you feeding? See, if you're feeding the things of the flesh, if you're so captivated with TV and the things of this world and, and going after the things of this world and, and so captivated by what the world offers and, and just being fixated on, on everything that the world promotes, that's who you're feeding. Of course, you're going to live out what you're seeing. But if you're praying, if you're reading the Word of God, if you're coming to church, if you're hanging out with other believers, you're going to be feeding the Spirit. This is what's going to strengthen you. We need to be yielding to the Spirit of God and what He tells us. If we go back to 1 Peter, in closing with these two verses here, as we're talking about how our personal lives must be different than the world. He says that you will bear fruit. And what is this fruit that he's talking about? He's talking about a life surrendered themselves to Jesus Christ. That's what he means when he says they observe. I'm sorry, they glorify God in the day of visitation. See, this refers to the day when God visits a sinner. This refers to the day that he surrenders his heart to the Lord. See, you will win somebody by your godly behavior. You will win somebody to the Lord when you say and when you talk and when you walk differently when, with what the world. If you walk and talk differently than what the world does. See, understand one thing. When it came to, to me, 
My brother-in-law's is the one that brought me to the Lord. It was his walk, his talk that ministered to me, that said, you know what? I want what he had, and he had Jesus Christ. Did you know that his fruit is my surrendered life to the Lord? That's his fruit. And did you know that all of you are a fruit of that? That is what's so amazing. And did you know that all of this will be accounted to him when he goes to heaven? He may not know this, and he's not here. But one thing that he has is the account of my fruit and the account of this church and everything that this church does, it goes on his account. Isn't that amazing? See, this is what happens when you have a transformed life. This is what ministers to us. This is what God has chosen to draw us to him. If we keep reading... In verse 13, it says, Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using liberality as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. See, as a people of God, the second way that we are different from the world is in our conduct to the governing authority. Peter has said our personal lives, and now he's saying in your conduct to governing authorities. What Peter is trying to say here is that you and I must be law-abiding citizens. Imagine as a church people, think about this. What kind of testimony would we have if we were always breaking the law? If we were always going into jail, in and out of jail, what kind of testimony would we have? People wouldn't listen to us, right? I mean, your walk is different than your talk. You know what? You're breaking the law. You're always in jail. You're committing crime. But understand this, and this is an important principle when it comes to a Christian. Our motivation is not to avoid jail time or penalties, but our motivation is for the Lord's sake. This is what he says in this word. He says in verse 13, Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. And if you jump down to verse 15, it says, For this is the will of God. This is why we are law-abiding citizens. We are here to please Him. What do people in the world do? They break the law. And in hopes that they don't, what? Get caught, right? That's why they do it. As Christians, we shouldn't be doing this. And this includes where I am very guilty of too. When it comes to traffic, we break the law when it comes to traffic, don't we? That is something that we do. And I know that we struggle with. But as you can see, you know what? We're not perfect. But see, in every ordinance of the land, we must obey the law. And this is, as he says, for the Lord's sake, and this is the will of God. I'm going to read something to you, and you don't need to turn there. I just want you to hear these words. And it's in uh, 13 verse 1. It says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that are exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. 
For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. See, we need to understand that God has placed government in every country. And why has He placed government in every country? Because if we didn't have laws, we would be, going, we would be having lots of trouble in our land, wouldn't we? We'd have people breaking laws. We'd have our loved ones that would be in danger. And you may say, well, what about third world countries? What about them? You know what? God has also ordained government to be there ruling also. Why is that? Because as he told us in Romans 13, he says, you know what? They restrain evil. Understand that. They protect the weak. Those that can't defend themselves are there because, I mean, our God has placed government there to do that. See, this is God's will. And little do people know is that God has placed government in every country to restrain evil and to defend those that are weak. There are people, even in this church or in other churches, right? It happens everywhere, right? We, you know what? We had a rap sheet before we came to know the Lord. But no one thing is that as Christians, you must not have a rap sheet after that, right? You must have, not have offenses after that. Otherwise, you can break your testimony. And understand one thing, that there's some of us that may have, you know what, offenses right now on our record. Go and clean them up. It's important that you do that. Whatever you have on your record, clean them up. You want to be a clean testimony. You don't want to bring a bad name to the Lord. Regarding our behavior, understand one thing is that our behavior should always be subject to obeying the Lord. See, if He is truly our Lord, then we should do this. And Paul, I mean, uh, Peter mentions here, he talks about being bondservants. It's important that for us, that we are to be these bondservants. We are His slaves by choice. And so we do these things because God has asked us to do this. But what happens, and I want to talk about this because, see, many don't know this. What happens if one day the law tells you to do something contrary than what God has called us to do? And what I mean by this is, for example, what if the law tells us, you know what? You can't teach God's words and you can't teach God's principles anymore. And I truly believe that we will be there one day, especially when it comes on the subject of homosexuality. Understand one thing. This is the truth of God. Okay? And we are to obey the truth of God. When it came to the apostles, we have a perfect illustration, and I will show you this through the scriptures on what God has called us to do. See, Peter and John, right, they were arrested after the day, after Pentecost. And, after, and they were arrested because they were commanded by the Jewish council to stop preaching in the name of Jesus Christ. And they said, you know what? Arrest us. And let's go. Let's actually, let's go there to Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4, let's read in Acts chapter 4 verse 13. 
It says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. And they realized that they had been with Jesus and seen the men who had been healed standing with them, they could not say anything against it. But when they had commanded them to go outside of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For indeed, that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. In other words, they healed. They had healed a man. They had done a miracle. And so, you know what? This can only be done by God. And so, this is what they're thinking. I mean, how do we do this? And verse 17 says, But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them, that, th- that from now on they speak to no man in this manner. In other words, they couldn't preach the gospel anymore. They didn't want him speaking in the name of Jesus. They didn't want the truths of, of the Lord to be spoken. Verse 18 says, So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot speak but the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what God had, for what had been done. So in other words, what's happening here is that they did not yield. But you know what I love about this? They didn't begin a rebellion. They didn't begin an upheaval. They didn't say, hey, church people, let's gather and let's overthrow the government. They, just, they still respected the government and they said, you know what? We understand what you're doing, but we cannot refrain ourselves from talking the teachings of Christ, from spreading those. And that's the same thing that's going to happen to us. Up here one day, the pulpit, you may not be able to talk about certain things. But if they're in God's word, we must do that. And if we have to face the consequences, we will face the consequences because we serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we do not refrain from talking the truth of God. Understand this, and I do want to close when it comes to this because it's important. As much as possible, we will always yield and cooperate with the law. But we cannot allow the law to violate our conscience or disobey God's law. We are to live by that. Understand that. As we keep reading in 1 Peter, in verse 17, he gives us here as Christian citizens, he gives us, Certain things that we are to do, verse 17 says, honor all, the pe- honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. As Christians, understand one thing. We are given a four-point summary of Peter. Honor all people. In other words, what Peter is trying to tell us and what the Lord is trying to tell us is you are to respect all people. And why are we to respect all people? Why? Because all people are created in the image of God. This is why we respect all people, right? We are to respect the sanctity of life. God is the one that gave these people life. God created them. And if God created them in his image, then we must respect that. But it doesn't mean that we join them. What is it that we as a people do? We love the sinner, right? But we don't love the sin. We don't embrace the sin just because they're, you know what, they're created by God. We love the sinner, but we don't love the sin. We don't embrace it. We don't blend in with it. And he also tells us to love the brotherhood. I think this is pretty self-explanatory. We are to love the new family that you belong to. 
Did you know that all of you belong to the family of God? Every single one of you are to love one another. That's why there's a, 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 a koinonia love between us, right? A fellowship between us. When you meet another Christian, how do you feel when you meet them? You feel joyous and happy, right? Because you've met another brother, another part of your family that you didn't know. See, the body of God, the family of God, we care for one another, we help one another, we pray for one another, we encourage one another, we admonish one another, we love one another. And this behavior is far different than the world, isn't it? How, much, how many people in the family, even in blood families, do they cheat one another? Do they steal from one another? Do they mistreat one another? Do they take advantage of one another? But not as Christians. We are to love the brotherhood. And then he says, we are to fear God. And this is the problem today and in the church today. What's happened is, is that many Christians, the church people are no longer fearing God. And we know that this is happening in society today. They don't have a fear of God because if they did have a fear of God, they wouldn't behave the way they're behaving. But because they have no fear of God, they behave the way they behave. Also in the church, we behave the way we behave. Those that are walking on the fence, those are, that are double-minded. Because you have no fear of God. You have no reverence. You have no awe. You don't fear the judgment that He can give to you. And so you behave the way you behave. The Lord wants us to stop when it comes to church people. If you're practicing sin, stop it. You know, it's important. You are to fear God. And this is the exhortation that Peter gives us. Fear God. And he says to honor the king. Not only do we respect people, but we also respect the authorities above us. And then verse 18 goes on to say, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable. If because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. This is the last exhortation from Peter as far as today. Next week we're going to talk about Husbands, we're going to talk about wives. But when it comes to today, this third exhortation that Peter is giving us, he's telling us that our conduct is to be different. And Peter here was exhorting slaves. No one thing that at that time slavery was practiced. And as we can see here, he wasn't saying to rebel against slavery. Remember, he was not condoning that. See, he was still following the laws that were in the land. But he tells them something so different. He says, you know what? I want you to submit to harsh masters. When we think about that, right? And the motivation isn't because you have to, as we talked about earlier, because they're your masters. But he says it is commendable before God, as he says in verse 20. He says it in verse 19. See, one of the things that we need to understand, why is this commendable before God? Why does God commend us for doing this? Understand one thing. What does grace mean? Grace means what? Un, uh, what is he, uh, he talks about um, uh, unmerited favor, right? He says about treating somebody in a way that they don't deserve to be treated. So when you think about this, right, it, why would it be commendable? 
because you are demonstrating His grace to others. You're living Him out. You're demonstrating who He is. You're imitating the Lord. How many of us have had bad bosses, harsh bosses? You know what? Some of us have, right? We know that. We've experienced it. And know that God is saying, you know what? This is commendable if you submit to them. See, one, it's commendable to God, and two, it's going to be a good witness to Christ. See, a great testimony is a Christian that submits to the Lord, isn't it? Imagine your boss, somebody that's harsh or somebody that's telling you to do things that you shouldn't do. And if, you know what, you submit and you do things that you should do and and you still, you know what, yes, sir, no, ma'am, and you do everything that you're supposed to do. I mean, even though they're being harsh to you, that ministers to them. They're saying, you know what, no matter how much abuse I give them, they do as I say. See, the world is quite different. With harsh bosses, what does the world do? They fight back. They retaliate, don't they? They say, there's no way I'm going to do that for you. I quit. You treat me like a dog or you treat me like this. That's because they have pride and that pride is keeping them from doing what God has called them to do. But yet for us, you know what? It's important that we continue to yield to our harsh bosses. Understand this is going to be a testimony. But I do want you to know one thing. You may be saying, well, what if my boss asked me to sin? You know what you do there? You say, I'm sorry, I'm not going to do that. And you know what? You will receive respect and honor from them. Some of you have confronted your bosses and told them, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to cheat anymore. And they respected and honored you. Did you know that for me, I've had to be in this situation. And you know what? Sometimes... There were all these, uh, and I've shared this, I shared this uh, a, a while back. I remember I worked with other field guys, they're nothing but men, and I remember we were in a meeting one day, and all the guys decided, and they're all married, okay, understand this. They all decided to pull up a computer, and they started bringing up porn. And as soon as I saw, saw them bringing up porn, I stood up and I walked out. And then they called me back. And then he says, why'd you walk out? I said, hey, you guys are watching porn. I'm not going to be a part of that. And then my boss says, you know what? We're not going to do that anymore. So I walked in back in, right? Next thing I know is one of the guy, he pulls it up again. And I got up and I started walking away. And my boss says, turn it off. You receive honor and respect when you do what is right. We don't sin. Understand that. We are not to sin, even if our boss asks us to do that. If he tells you to cheat, you tell him, I'm not going to cheat. If he tells you to lie, say, I'm not going to lie. And then it gives you the opportunity. He'll say, why aren't you going to do that? You know what? I'm a Christian. I serve the the king of kings. I serve a greater boss. And I yield to him. See, it's important that we understand this. But you know what? Our faith will be tested at our jobs. And sometimes you may receive punishment because you stand up for righteousness. But you know what? As Peter says, one thing that we know, as Peter is saying, let's see what happens in verse 21. I'm sorry, he said it in verse 20. He says, for what credit is it it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? You know what? We all receive punishment when we do things wrong and we accept it. But Peter says this, but when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. 
See, when we receive punishment for doing what is good, you know what? God commands us. And God says, you know what? This is right because you're imitating me. Let's finish up in verse 21. It says, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. You know what? Christ is a prime example. See, he committed no sin. He did no wrong. And yet he suffered for whose sake? For your sake. This is what we're celebrating today. We're celebrating this is communion. This is what we celebrate remembering what he did on the cross. The word of God says here that he didn't revile. In other words, he he didn't, you know, verbally abuse or mock them. He didn't verbally retaliate against those who who, uh, who, 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 who attacked him and, and who who's made him suffer. It also says that he didn't threaten those. You know what? Jesus could have easily spoken a word and he could have destroyed all of these enemies. But did Jesus do that? He stood quiet. You know what? He also says there that, that he didn't retaliate, right? He just took it in. And again, why didn't Jesus retaliate? What does the, the, uh, the cross symbolize? It symbolizes love, doesn't it? It was because of his love. He showed us that he is not like the world. Understand that. He, was not, he is not like the world. He is different. And through this behavior, others came and surrendered their hearts to him, right? Through the cross. We saw that he died for us. And we know that he died for us while we were still yet sinners. But I do want to read this scripture to you and turn to Romans chapter 2. In Romans chapter 2, verse 4. In Romans chapter 2, verse 4, it says this. It says, Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering? Not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. See, this is what brought us to know the Lord, right? Knowing that he was willing to die and to take my penalty. That I don't have to die. That I don't have to live in hell because of the penalty that he took. He paid the penalty for my sins. And understand when, you know, when we look, when we look at Christ, we know that he's God. Because he behaved differently. He didn't retaliate like men retaliate. He didn't speak like men speak. This is when we look at, at his words. His words are so contrary to what the world speaks. And we know that he is different. And because of this, we surrender our hearts because of his great love for us. And verse 24 says, Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of our soul. You know, as we see this, as we see that, you know what, the Lord did something so different. He did something so different than we're used to, than we have seen for ourselves. Imagine to die for our sins, for the sins of others. How many of you would die for your enemies? I don't think anybody would die for their enemies here, right? 
Would you want to say, you know what? That person that has mocked me, ridiculed me, you know what, done this and that to me, abused me, beat me up, whatever the case may be, I'm going to die for them. Yes, Lord, I'm willing to die for them. I don't think any of us would say that, would we? I don't think that's in us. But you know what? God demonstrated His love, His amazing love. And the fact that He is God because He was willing to do this. When we wanted nothing to do with Him, He wanted everything to do with us. That was his, that's so amazing. Because when we were sinners, we rejected Him and everything that He represents. But we know one thing. As the Word of God says, that He died on that tree. He bore our sins on the tree. And He is a perfect example of love. And we are to imitate Him. In everything we do, we are also to imitate this love. See, as we start it, we are not to imitate the world. The world hates you and your message and everything that represents you. But we are to imitate Him. This is what God wants us to close with. As you walk away, if there's anything that you remember today, is to imitate Him. See, and we will bear the fruit that comes with that. And what is the fruit that comes with that? The salvation of others. Knowing that others are going to see something different about you. And they're going to want to know this Jesus who you serve. Remember, as it has been said, the first Bible that I truly read was a man that brought me to the Lord. That was the first Bible I read. And that is the first Bible that many people out there read. They read your life. They look at your life. And they see the difference in you. And this is what brings them to Jesus Christ. God has chosen all of you to bring others to him. He hasn't chosen angels to do this. He's chosen you. And let us live up to this high calling. With that, we're going to close and we're going to have communion. Lord Jesus, we just want to thank you, Lord, for just your glorious word, Lord. Just to remind us that we're not of this world, Lord, but we belong to you. Lord, we are to imitate you. We are your ambassadors, Lord. Lord, as we're here and we're going to have communion, Lord, just remembering how you bore our sins on the cross, we thank you for that, Lord. You, your love is demonstrated for your word says that there is no greater love than for a man to lay down his life for his friends. You have laid down our life, your life for your friends and you call us friends. If there's anyone here that wants to receive the forgiveness of God, if there's anyone here that wants their sins to be thrown as far as the east is from the west, to be thrown into the sea of forgetfulness, to restore fellowship with God, we can do that now. You can raise your hand and we will pray for you. Amen. 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 Anyone else? Amen. Amen. Anyone else? Anyone else? Amen. Anyone else? Anyone else before we close? Anyone else? I do want to throw this offering in case there's some that want to recommit your life to the Lord. Maybe you haven't been the example. You've been just double-minded, loving the world and loving Christ. And you don't want to do that anymore. You want to be sold out for Christ. You want to be passionate about Him. 
you want to reflect who he is and imitating him and no one else, you can raise your hand and we will pray for you. Amen, amen. Anyone else? Amen, amen. Anyone else? Anyone else? Amen. Lord, you saw these hands that went up, Lord, and Lord, they realize they're not of this world, Lord. Why would they love a world that hates him? But they want to belong to you that loves him. Lord, strengthen their walk. Strengthen their life. May they imitate you. And those that surrendered their hearts to you for the first time, Lord, we just pray for them, Lord. Lord, as they made a bold statement, they, they raised their hands, Lord, to surrender their lives to you, Lord. We know that you died for their sins. And now, Lord Jesus, they are free from the bondage of sin, Lord. And they are free now to live a life that is pleasing to you, empowered and enabled and gifted by your Holy Spirit. So, Lord Jesus, we just want to thank you, Lord, for what you've done here. And now we're going to celebrate communion in honor of you, for you are the guest of honor here, Lord. So we love you, we praise you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.